back in my uni days, uh, I went to the University of Tasmania in Hobart, and I was part of the Christian group on campus. And one of the things we used to do was was uh, hand out gospel pamphlets on campus to other students. And that was that was a really uh, exciting and daunting thing to do. It kind of felt like the the front lines of, of gospel ministry. And in uni students, often they're up for any sort of discussion on any sort of topic at all. And one day this guy um, was walking past and, and he asked me this question. He said to me, isn't it narcissistic of God to demand that we worship him? And that question kind of caught me by surprise at the time. And I, didn't, I must admit, I didn't have a good answer to him. But you can see it kind of makes sense from his perspective. I could see why he would ask it. You know, if anyone else in the world demanded that you worship them, would think they were the most self-absorbed, self-serving and narcissistic person we'd ever met. Now, just imagine if you came into work one day and the boss says, everyone, all right, come in. And he says, today you have one job. You need to make me look good. I want to see posters of my face on the wall. I want to see people on the phones calling all of our clients, telling them about how good I am. I want a, pe- I want a team of people ready to come to me at, the dr- at any time during the day. I want coffee on tap and I want compliments constantly flowing. You'd think the guy was absolutely deluded, wouldn't you? And so we, we ask, well, what's the difference when it comes to God? Why does God want to glorify himself? Why does he call us to come and worship him? And I actually want to answer that question this morning from Scripture. And just in case you think this sounds like some boring theological question, I want to briefly show you why this question actually matters a lot to you. First, it matters because it is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. And so if you're a Christian here this morning... You simply can't ignore this question. You see it in the Bible. It's just full of expressions of of God's desire for his name to be glorified. The Psalms call us again and again. We saw it in Psalm 150. Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise, O servant of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 96, let all the families of the earth come and worship God. Isaiah 48 verse 11, God declares, My glory I will not give to another. The first commandment, You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus himself said in Matthew 4 verse 10, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. This is a big thing in the Bible, isn't it? John 4 23 actually says, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, God is seeking worshippers and and so to understand this question of why god wants to glorify himself really it's to understand why god made you that's what you see in revelation 4 for him all things were made so that's one reason if you're a christian you cannot ignore this question second and from a more practical viewpoint this question matters because we as christians actually spend a lot of time doing this don't we We've done it this morning. Every week we come to church and we sing praise to God. We set aside Sunday to do it. 
And in the rest of life as well, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, So then, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is a comprehensive aim in the Christian life. And so really this question, we're asking why does God want to glorify himself? We're also answering the question, why did God make you? And, and why do you do the things you do? Why do we aim to glorify him? And let me just say as well, this is important because understanding this question is an antidote to spiritual apathy. We're all so prone to that, aren't we? So prone to, to getting bored with our faith. But you see, God's glory and your joy come hand in hand. We're going to see that very clearly this morning. Uh, for those of you who, who know the, the confessions of our church, one of them says, why... Uh, you know, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So this is not an academic question. This is a, this is a comprehensive, all-of-life question. Really important. Why does God want to glorify himself? I'm going to answer this question under three headings today. The first, I want to show you the fact that God is passionate for his glory. The fact of God's passion for his glory. And second, we're going to look at God's proclamation of his glory not only is he passionate for it he actively proclaims his glory and that's really where we'll answer our question of why God wants to glorify himself and finally as we apply it all we're going to look at our participation in God's glory so God does want to glorify himself let me show you that from scripture we see it very very clearly we saw it already in Isaiah 48, 11, where God said, My glory I will not give to another. And again, Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 10, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The theme of God's glory just reverberates throughout the Bible. And it reverberates throughout creation. Psalm 19, creation declares the glory of God. You can't actually look at anything without seeing the glory of God. We might respond hard-heartedly and blindly to it, but it's there everywhere we turn. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let me rephrase that as well, just to, to put another spin on this. The chief end of God is to glorify and enjoy himself forever. Now, that probably sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? it sounds a bit weird. Maybe you're thinking like that uni student that I met. This makes God sound like a narcissist. But you see, the basic problem with that, that, that guy's question, as he asked it to me, is that it only works if you compare God to people. The boss in my little story, he's a person, isn't he? He's a, he's a human person. But God, he's a completely different kettle of fish. It just completely changes the equation. Let me show you how this works. Take the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus, the divine Son of God, was baptised, what did God say? He said, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father delights in the Son. John 3, verse 35, we read that the Father loves the Son. You see, our God is not just a boss. He, he is a triune God. 
One God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as these three persons of the Godhead commune together, they depend on no one else, nothing else. Before time began, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit enjoyed infinite, harmonious, loving relationship together. In the fullness of their infinite joy, they depended on nothing and no one but themselves. Jesus said it in John 17, verse 24. He said, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so picture with me the scene for a moment. In eternity, before anything was created, there was God the Father, delighting, reveling in the beauty of his Son, and the Son with the Father as well. And we actually see this kind of dynamic in the Trinity in the Bible, in Matthew 12, verses 18 to 20, God the Father, speaking of the Son, says, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit on him. You see it there, don't you? God the Father delighting in the Son, united together in the Spirit. Have you ever stopped and, and thought about the fact that our God is full of joy. In and of himself, from all of eternity, there is an infinite laughter in the heart of God and delight. His beauty and his majesty have no limit. And as God the Father, through the Spirit, beholds this never-ending beauty in God the Son, He delights. And as God the Son beholds the glory of God the Father through the Spirit, He delights. And so it is this joy and laughter and beauty in God that flows out into all of creation. That's how this works. And in a sense, that's what the glory of God is. It is the overflow of the love and beauty of God that He has in Himself. God's glory It's kind of this weird word, isn't it? The glory of God. We say it, it sounds Christian, but we don't quite know what it means. If someone asks you, what is the glory of God? Maybe it would be hard to say exactly what it is. God's glory is his infinite, self-contained excellence. And that glory is declared and spills out into, into creation. And so can you start to see this picture I'm trying to paint here? It's very different. Than, than the idea of the narcissistic boss, isn't it? It's just a completely different thing going on here. God the Father, through the Spirit, delighting in the Son. God the Son, through the Spirit, delighting in the Father. That's the pattern of the glory of God. Maybe I can use an analogy to make this a bit more relatable. Those of us here who are, who are parents, we know what it's like to enjoy our children. We watch them learn, we we teach them, we see them grow, and it's such a, such a joy to see them growing and, and enjoying life and enjoying one another. There are a few sounds more glorious in this world than the sound of a laughing child, a laughing two-year-old. And children, as we, as we look up to our parents as well, don't we? Proverbs 17 verse 6 says, The glory of children is their fathers. I remember the feeling of being a, a boy. And looking up to my dad, my dad was a builder. And just thinking, I literally thought, dad was invincible. There was no one who was stronger than dad, except maybe Superman. And and even then it was close. There was nothing my dad couldn't do. And my trust in him was total and unquestioned. I I remember 
as being very small, uh, jumping into a pool, the deep end. You don't even think about it. You just jump in. Dad's there. It's fine. No trouble at all. Total and unquestioned trust. And you see this picture of the relationship between a parent and its child echoes the glory of God. The heart of a child delighting in his father. In the heart of a father delighting in his son. They're echoes of this image of God. And they point faintly towards the true glory of God. This is why it's not narcissistic for God to glorify himself. Because narcissism is by definition absorbed with self. It's, it's fundamentally a, an individual activity. God, on the other hand, is not an isolated individual. And once you understand who God is, you understand that the, there's, a, there's a different idea when it comes to glorifying God. There is a community in the Godhead, if you like. And the glory of God flows out into the creation from this divine community. So God wants to glorify himself. He delights in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was our first point. But next we need to ask, what does it actually mean for God to glorify himself? And so this is our second point, God's proclamation of his glory. Now let me say again, very, I want to say very clearly, very precisely, what glorifying God actually is. Listen carefully. To glorify God is to display and enjoy. To display and enjoy His infinite excellence. To glorify God is to display and enjoy His infinite excellence. That's what we do when we're singing, isn't it? We're displaying before the world His excellence. We're declaring it. But simultaneously, we're enjoying God by faith. To glorify God is to display and enjoy his infinite greatness. Now, it's important to make another distinction here because glorifying God is actually slightly different from the glory of God. To glorify God is to display his excellence, but the glory of God is his excellence. Let me show you what this means. How we can understand this. Because it's not, it's not necessarily an easy idea. Let me give you a few more common examples. Because we actually see this idea all the time. When you see a majestic sunset, what do you say to the person next to you? You say, that is glorious. In other words, it's wonderful. It's excellent. And so we call something excellent because of what it is. What it is in and of itself. And so when we call something glorious, when it has the quality of something excellent or glorious, a, br a bride walking down the aisle, her glory is not some aspect of who she is. It's not a, a poster she holds up and, and waves above her head. No, she is glorious. Her glory, if you like, is a state of being. The view from a mountaintop is glorious because everything we see fills us with, with wonder. As we see the beauty 
God's beauty reflected in the work of his hands. And God is no different in this sense. He is glorious. He is excellent. He is beautiful. He is marvellous. He is wonderful in every conceivable way. Psalm 29 verse 3 describes God as the God of glory. His perfection is infinite. His beauty is limitless. His character is flawless. His goodness is boundless. And his joy fills eternity. God is glorious. That is who he is. And so now we come to our question, why does God want to glorify himself? Why does he want to display his excellence? Now on a human level, we can generally agree that we ought to promote good things. You can see that, can't you? We should do what is good. We should try and encourage others to do what is good. It's good to do good and promote good. And scripture confirms this. Psalm 34 verse 14 says, Turn away from evil and do good. And so it follows that we ought to actually prioritise what is ultimately and fully good, doesn't it? That makes sense. If there is a supreme good, it ought to be supremely promoted. And so the question is, what is supremely good? And the answer is so easy, isn't it? What is the source of all that is true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable and excellent? Is it not our God? God alone is good. Jesus said that. And from God, all good things come. And so because God alone is infinitely excellent and good, it is right that God alone should be exalted above everything. Let me put it this way, for God to exalt or glorify anything above himself is by definition sinful. Because if he did that, he would be saying that there was something that was more excellent than he was. The best and greatest thing that God can do, the most loving act possible for him, is for him to glorify himself. Because in glorifying himself, he is revealing to us the best and most wonderful thing we could ever see or experience. Let me put it another way. It is right for God to value above everything else that which is supremely valuable. And only God is supremely valuable. Therefore, God must value and exalt himself above anything else. Let me put it still another way. It would be wicked of God to, do, to, to delight in anything more than his own infinite worth. And so this is why God wants to glorify himself, because it is the most virtuous and good and loving thing that he can possibly do. Now let's wrap it up here and, and apply this to ourselves. What does this all mean for us? We've seen God is passionate for his own glory. We've seen why God declares and proclaims his own glory. And now we see the glory of God in the gospel as we consider our participation in God's glory. Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis once said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering 
nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. It would seem that our, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an, an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what, what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so let me remind you of some of the promises God has given us in the gospel. We've confessed our sins this morning, haven't we, and, and received God's forgiveness. But God doesn't just restore us. He restores us to life. Let me remind you of one of those promises. In Matthew 25 and verse 23, we have the parable of the talents that Jesus told. He tells this story. Jesus says there was a master who had three servants. And he gives to one servant five talents of gold. He gives to another servant two talents. And he gives to his third servant one talent. Now two of the servants take this money, they invest it, and they use it well. But one of them doesn't. But what I want to highlight in this parable is, is the way that the master responds to the faithful servants. And these faithful servants, really, they're a picture of what, what a faithful disciple of Jesus is. And, and here's what the master says to the, to the servants who use their talent well. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Now listen to these words. Maybe you've never noticed them before. He says, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. Now I want you to get this. He doesn't say go and enjoy spending the profits that you made. He doesn't say go and make more money. He says enter into the joy of your master. Not your own joy, the joy of your master. You see, through Jesus, through the salvation that God offers us in the gospel, God both promises and invites us to participate in the joy of God. And God's joy, just like everything else about God, is infinite. Have you ever thought about that before? God has promised you in the Bible the experience of infinite joy. Can you even begin to imagine what that means? You know, as a kid, I remember thinking heaven would probably be pretty boring. Just thinking I oh, will kind of be in the clouds and just be like an endless church service. You know, it'd be just nice to sing and like listening to good preaching. But that's surely that's going to get boring. But heaven, let me tell you, will not be boring. Every day in heaven, you will see new horizons of the infinite glory of God. And those horizons will never end. Onward and upward and upward and onward. Every day, seeing and experiencing more and more of God's infinite excellence in the new heavens and the new earth, in the glory that we see in one another and in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the promise that God has given you in Christ. The promise that Christ died to gain for you. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross so that we might be forgiven and that we might be restored to life. And Jesus says, I came that you may have joy, that you may have life and have it abundantly. That was kind of an understatement. 
And so we taste this in increasing measures now. I trust that you taste the joy of Christ in your faith. And we will have it purely and without limit in the next life. You see, God doesn't just save us to to get us to heaven. He saved us so that we might join in the community of the Trinity. That we might enjoy him. That we might participate in, in the family and love of the heart of God. And so God doesn't just give us a reward. He is the reward. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself. Delight yourselves in God alone. And and again, that's why the first commandment says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. That's the heartbeat of the Christian life. It's participating in the joy of God. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. Now listen to this. And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. You see our faith is very simple really. When it all comes down. You boil everything down in the Christian faith and it comes down to this, a relationship with God. Through Christ. And he gives us the promise of that relationship through Christ. And we receive Christ through faith. Notice in in John 17 verse 10, Jesus says, I am glorified in them. And so this glory of God, this joy that he has in his own heart, spills out into our lives. That's what you're witnessing when you see Christians loving one another. You're seeing the glory of God overflowing into their lives and you're beholding the love of Christ in them. And that's the way life is meant to be. We're meant to be glory bearers. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. We're designed to bear his glory and and display it before everyone. And it is the nature of sin to defile that glory. And so this is why Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were created to attain to the glory of God, to be like God, to image his excellence, to reflect him. That's what we're designed to do. That's why it's such a crime to kill someone, for example, because in doing that, You are striking a blow against the excellence and glory of God. And in Christ, this image of his glory is restored to us. This is the calling that you have in him. You're not called to be a community group in the hub. You are a community group in the hub. You are called to be Christ bearers. You are called to reflect and display And show his glory. This is why Jesus said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, because you have love for one another. Now listen to this prayer in closing. In in John 17 verse 20, Jesus goes on. It's one of the few places where you actually get a mention in the Bible. 
Jesus prayed and said, I do not ask for these only, that is my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. The glory of God, glorifying God, isn't, isn't, some, isn't us uh, acting on behalf of some narcissist. It's us participating in the community of God, who he is. And so Jesus says, let them be one. As you, Father, own me and I in you, so that they may also be in us. Now listen to this. Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. The glory he has from the Father, he has given to, to us. That they may be even may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. What a destiny. God doesn't just desire to glorify himself through you. He desires to bring you in to who he is. To participate in love and fellowship with him, in relationship with him, to know him. And as he himself dwells in you by his spirit and Christ is formed in you, that is happening. God will be glorified through you. He will and he is. To this he called you through our gospel, Paul says, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul said that in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And so do you see what God has given us in Christ? Do you see what he reveals in the gospel? He has given us everything. More, more exactly, he has given us himself. He dwells in us. He is forming his own image in us. He is restoring us to the glory of God through Christ. And we now participate in relationship with the Godhead, with the eternal fellowship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. I hope you've caught a little bit of the vision of God's glory this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we meditate on these things from your word, these truths, it seems to us that we, we are dull of hearing, we, have, we are blind in our sight. And yet, Lord, you have given us faith and you, you speak to us. And as we listen, we hear glorious things from your word. And so we pray, Lord, in the week ahead, this week, that you may show us your glory. Show us more, Lord God. Touch our hearts. Fill us with your spirit that we may know you, that we may love you, and that as we are engulfed in your love, that we may be compelled by that love to share the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for this community 
We pray for Armstrong Creek. There are many people here and there are many people moving in here. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work to touch the hearts of, of those who are lost, those whose image of God has been shattered. Lord, give us hearts to restore it to them as we share the gospel with them. And may you give them the gift of faith and open their eyes. You are the God who heals. You are the God who rescues. And so we look to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.